Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is now time for the Sunburnt Series 2022. We did it last summer and had a blast. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are uh, awfully glad to be doing this. It's kind of pick a topic, and then we discuss it each week. Peter, last year was a blast. It was a blast. Did yep. we did we solicit uh, listener Faith Radio family feedback at all for this year? I know, I know last summer we did. And, oh, and last they summer had a, we did. They had a ton of topics to do. It's really fun to do it just topic, to, uh, topic by topic. Yeah, and we're starting uh, with T-Dog. Well, could we start with anybody better? No. I, I don't think so. We're we're right at the top of the list right now. Yeah, it's sweet. Uh, our guest is uh, Dr. Eric Tonis. He is the professor and chair of theology. He was also Tom Cruise's stunt double in Top Gun. <laughs> he was. Yeah. That that iconic scene, right, where, where Tom Cruise gets on the motorcycle. He's going like 100. And, and, and he races the fighter jet. The, right. This is T-Dog. That was not Tom Cruise. Was that was Eric Tonis. Clearly not. Yeah. Clearly not. Yeah, so we're glad to have him on. So, Peter, we have to do some sh- show prep. Uh, we do have some notes as to what uh, Eric is going to talk about, so let's take a few seconds here to read the show notes. Go ahead. All right, we're ready. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, welcome to the show. You guys are always so well prepared. <laughs> well, first of all, you got to explain your your topic. I mean, it's really interesting that we grow in our relationship with God by gospel-grounded Holy Spirit empowered availing ourselves to habits of grace. Yeah. Yeah, I need a little help on that one. Me too. Big old fat sentence. Yeah, I I'm really I'm really burdened these days that we appreciate the simplicity, not only of the gospel, but of growing in Christ. Hmm. It seems like Christian life's never been easy, but it's never been complicated. I don't think we're waiting for the next book to come out to unlock the secret to spiritual growth. And so I'm, I'm burdened that we understand the gospel basis of who we are and then who we're becoming in Christ and depending on the Spirit to do that in a gospel-grounded way. But then, living disciplined lives as disciples, availing ourselves to the means of grace God's given us. And so the term I stole from David Mathis's book, Habits of Grace, is the one I've been thinking about in this regard. Awesome. Well, we are excited about talking about these habits of grace, and I think there's about nine of them, aren't there? Yes, that's... So what I've boiled it down to, I've just been thinking about a lot through the years. And there, there are others people may say, well, what about, like, baptism isn't one of them, or the Lord's Supper, which I think are wonderful means of grace for us, or preaching in that sort of explicit way. But see, I would make those subcategories under what I call fellowship, which is one of the nine, for instance. So people will certainly want to take issue with the nine I've chosen, but I, I really do want to bring some clarity and simplicity to this issue, which can be very mysterious and challenging for us. How do I grow? I, I remember talking to a friend of mine who's just an amazing godly man I look up to tremendously, and I said, uh, what's one of the biggest questions you've wrestled with in your life when you consider 
the reality of God. And he said, I just struggle with the slowness of my growth. I, I sometimes wonder if I'm growing at all. And, and he's a godly man, but, but he, he recognizes that in this fallen world with the battles internally and externally we fight, that it's a challenge to grow in this world. And, and you don't grow toward God by default or naturally. You don't drift toward God. You drift away from God. And so it really does take some resolute setting our faces to grow if we're ever going to do it. Yeah, can you describe a bit more, too, what you mean by habits of grace, just even that phrase, because you are talking about this, this need to daily grow, but what does that mean to have a habit of grace? Where, where is grace involved in this? Right, so I, I really want to try to restore a positive connotation for words like habits mm. or, or discipline. It's been interesting in my life, so my grandparents' generation— you know, the World War II depression-raised generation, those kinds of terms were just part of life. You didn't need to convince them that discipline and being devoted and working hard and applying yourself to something was something you had to do. But I'm noticing, especially among the younger generation that I work with constantly, is those sound legalistic to them. Those immediately sound, oh, you're just wanting me to reduce the Christian life to you know, Thomas, it's not about a checklist. It's not about, you know, what we do. It's who we are. And it's not a, and they'll even use this phrase, you know, we're not human doings, we're human beings. And it sounds so cool. And there's some truth to that. But what it does is create a false dichotomy between who we are and then based on who we are, how we live. And the fact that how we live contributes to who we're becoming as we, as Paul says, live up to what we've already attained in Christ. So, so a habit is a habit of grace is something we apply ourselves to bodily. I want to keep the the physical, practical normalcy of it. It's what we do in the body, depending on the Holy Spirit, grounded in the gospel, to enable us to grow. First and foremost, in our intimacy with God and our enjoyment of Him. It's not primarily character development or or moral formation or that sort of thing. It's all about pursuing greater intimacy with God, delighting in Him, and deepening that relationship. Eric, I appreciate you um, referencing your grandparents, because there is a very different—there's uh, such a huge difference between their generation and what's, what, your, what the students are today, including younger kids today are—when you see these words like habits and discipline— you know, many embrace it, but many are just a little bit confused by it. So I appreciate you drawing that distinction between the generations. Yeah, and I, it, it's interesting. I'm I'm 58, and I feel a bit positioned in between some major. I'm not I'm not technically a boomer. I'm not a Gen Xer. I'm certainly not from the greatest generation. I feel like I'm on this in between phase where I I knew well the greatest generation. And then my parents, they were really the, the, the boomers. And then, and then I feel like I'm in between sort of the boomers and the Gen Xers. And now, now you've gone in all these different directions. I don't want to be simplistic and label people in a simplistic way. But there are attitudes and values that I've watched shift through the years. And, and it, it is. It's a very different context now where I'm grieving the loss of that World War II 
depression generation because they've been the backbone of the church, especially in areas like giving and prayer and missions for a very long time. They understood that you don't accomplish anything significant without discipline, without devoting yourself to something, without working hard. And and those things sound unrelational or too uh, sim- you know simplistic or legalistic or reductionistic to to a lot of young people today and in in discipline is not contrary to grace that's what i want people to realize that they're they're habits of grace they're things we do in the body in a disciplined way a lot of times when we don't feel like it to avail ourselves to the grace of god not to do all these accomplishments so we can be proud of how religious we are but we devote ourselves religiously to means of grace so that we grow in godliness and put sin to death and 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 accomplish what God calls us to as disciples. I like habits of grace. I want to get that as a temporary tattoo on my bicep. <laughs> Where are you going to get it, Bill? Should we just I don't know, I don't know, but it's it's not going to be permanent. It's got to be temporary because <laughs> Don't get it somewhere that's going to wrinkle a lot, whatever you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dr. Eric Tonis is our guest. This is our Sunburn series where we talk about uh, anything and everything. And today we're talking about how to grow. And we all want to know how to grow. So we're, we need to avail ourselves to habits of grace. I love that. Habits of grace. I'm going to say that another 10 times in this hour because I think this is the whole point of the hour. It, yeah, I, I think to take some of the mystery out of the growth, right? And, and I'd be curious curious on Eric's thoughts on this too, because I think growth, we want it to happen overnight, but we're talking about just this daily habit, this daily engagement. And I know he's going to get into a number of these different things in which you can kind of look back at yourself in the spiritual mirror after a year or two and say, oh, I think I really did grow in my faith, but it doesn't necessarily, it's not obvious day in and day out. And I think Eric is going to invite us into that. Yeah. We're we're talking about him in front of him. I love this. Vital point. I, I notice, along with the other. Well, I think we're having a cell phone in the mountains problem. I think yeah. he's probably still there. He just isn't aware that we can't hear him right now. Indeed. Yeah. So I think we're. Oh, there you are. Yeah. I think we've got a cell phone in the mountains problem. Oh, do we? Can you not hear me? Yeah. Well, we you went away for just a brief second, so you're back now. So thank you okay, for that. Sorry yeah. about that. No. I'm I'm still, so I'm I'm hoping that we're okay. But um. Yeah, so we want the dramatic, we want the impressive, we want Instagrammable experiences when the Christian life is, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the hardest thing about the Christian life is it's so daily, that there's a daily taking up your cross and following Jesus. And for most of us, that won't include martyrdom on the mission field or something someone's going to write a biography about. We're not, we're not going to be world changers in the way we typically think about that. We just need to be faithful with the sphere of influence God's given us and the opportunities he gives us to grow in Christ in a daily So to appreciate All right, we'll jump to a break right now, and we'll reconnect with Eric. Dr. Eric Tonis is our guest. This is our Sunburnt series, and we always are open to ideas. If you have a topic you'd like for us to discuss, Peter and I would be more than happy to uh, consider it. Text it over to 877-933-2484. But today with Eric, we're talking about how we grow, and that's going to involve habits of grace. I love that. We'll be right back.
Love being with Dr. Eric Tonis today. He's the professor and chair of theology at Biola University in Southern California. He's joining us today. Eric, before we get back into uh, our time together, I'm just so curious as to, are you on vacation right now? Are you getting your first break in the mountains, or what are you doing? Well, I I get to do a lot of preaching and teaching over the summer. I'm at Forest Home Christian Camp here in the mountains in Southern California, teaching all week at their family camp, and just getting a great opportunity to do that, so I'm thankful. That's really nice. We're talking uh, with Eric about how we grow, and uh, the words habits of grace came up, and uh, we're talking about, there's primarily nine of them, and maybe, Eric, we can talk about uh, the Word. Yeah, so so the, there are nine things I think the Bible teaches we devote ourselves to if we're going to grow, and there are other really great things we can do, but as, as far as I look at the non-negotiables in the Bible, these nine things are the things that I I think we just have to make part of our lives in a very regular way. And the first would be the word, that this anchor for everything else we do needs to be central to our lives. We need to be Bible-saturated people, whole Bible-saturated people, not our favorite book or verse, but hmm. but but really try to immerse ourselves in the, the story of redemption we find in the Bible and seeking most of all the character of God in the Bible and knowing Him and tasting and seeing that He's good. And so then it becomes the anchor for our entire lives, as well as the other eight things we devote ourselves to. It all has to start with being Bible people, understanding God's will. But to be a disciple means we are also disciple makers. And so we and those we hope to help know Christ need to, yes, be baptized, but then to be taught to obey everything he's commanded. And you can't obey Jesus if you don't know what he's commanded, and you don't know what he's commanded if you don't know him through the Word. So so the Word is this anchor for everything else we do. Yeah. Eric, you have a proclamation on the list as well as part of the nine. Is that tied into the word at all? I have the idea of proclamation as preaching the gospel in some way, shape, or form. And I don't know if you would connect that to to making sure it is oriented in the word or how you would think about that. Right. So these are typically called spiritual disciplines. And I've realized that some are, you know, like everybody who's a Christian and cares about growing, they'll, they'll say, yeah, you need to be in the word, you need to pray need to be in fellowship, that they sort of realize those things are necessary ways we grow. But there are some that almost never, if if not never, show up on these lists of spiritual disciplines. And I realize that proclamation is one of those, that proclamation is, yes, what we do as we grow, but it's also vital for our growth. I think most people don't realize that, that in proclaiming Christ, and pointing people to God and His greatness and His goodness, and putting that in the words, He's becoming more precious to us. Philemon verse 6 says, I pray you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. You expect Him to say, so the people you're preaching to will have it. But there's something about articulating the preciousness of God and the gospel that makes it more precious to us. If I were to talk to you about the best pizza in the world, which is found in New Haven, Connecticut, if you weren't sure about that. <laughs> and my mouth would start watering, mm-hmm. and yours might too, because as I proclaim the goodness of it, it, it goes deeper in my soul 
how good it really is. And the same is true. If you don't express your, your, your delight in God, it's stunted, and, it, and it's not going to flourish like it otherwise would. Mm. Yeah, Eric, I found over the years that just in the, in the discipline of teaching from time to time that I don't know that I would grow hardly at all if I wasn't forced to somehow say it out loud. My context happens to be the classroom primarily, but there is just something about conversations with people or with your kids or with your parents or friends or whatever it is that, that forces you into it because you, you hear yourself speak and you think, huh. Well, maybe I need to grow a little bit here. Otherwise. <laughs> it's so true. And, you know, I, I'm sure, and it's not only the speaking of it, it's the pre- preparation to speak. And I'm sure you've had this experience, like everybody I've ever talked to has, is they say, you know, until I was asked to teach on this subject, I don't think I very knew it very well. And the, the preparation clarified it, deepened it, helped me understand what it was all about in a way I hadn't before. I, I have a friend who... Uh, was an he's an amazing guy and I I I got to know him and then I talked to somebody from his past and he said we can't be talking about the same guy that guy was he was a punk and I went back to him and I said uh, what happened are you guys there yeah we're here yeah okay um, I said what happened to you and he said oh somebody asked me to coach a seventh grade basketball team I don't even think I was a Christian he said but then somebody asked me to coach a seventh grade basketball team. And I looked those kids in the eyes, and I knew I needed to point them to Jesus. And I knew I wasn't heading there myself. So I could either be a total hypocrite and tell them they needed Christ or get my act together. And so feeling the responsibility to speak truth to people can bring a reality to it that we otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah. Eric, uh, you know, what you're teaching on and saying today is really moving listeners. I just got a text Amen to the pizza. We just moved from Connecticut to North Carolina, <laughs> and we are so sad know, about the they pizza. They know what I'm talking about. Yeah. They know what I'm talking and about. And another uh, uh, Manchester, Connecticut, uh, Martha said the best pizza. Yeah, it's it's, the, it's Pepe's Pizza, New Haven, Connecticut. Yeah, but they just opened one in Manchester, so so tell her that she, she, it's not fair that she gets one right <laughs> <laughs> Well, so now I'm just thinking about pizza, so I'm I'm in trouble here, uh, and my mouth is watering. And I was saying to Rosie, my producer, I kind of missed lunch today, so I'm really hungry. I said, "Do you have any?" I said to Rosie, "Do you have any emergency food at your <laughs> desk?" And you she brought eat. out a protein bar for me. Yeah, so, it was not pizza, now, Eric. It's... Thanks a lot, Eric. She's talking about the best pizza in the world. It makes your mouth water. But you know, the point is, you go from ideas that are floating around in, in your head to sentences that have to be spoken. It does make a big difference in how you walk out your faith. Right. So, I mean, that's why good schooling requires not just that you ingest information, but that you you articulate it, you write it, you communicate it, because there's a solidification that goes on in that process that's vital for learning and truly appreciating what you're talking about. And I think you can accomplish that in journaling, too, to some degree, uh, because when you just get your thoughts down on paper, you see them. I know in the context uh, of giving a sermon, Eric, I don't know how you do it, but I'll, I'll write my entire sermon out. And as I'm writing it, I think, gosh, this is Pulitzer Prize winning stuff right here. And then, <laughs> and then I go to read it and I think, oh, my gosh, this is absolutely terrible. And, and, you, and you just you, you actually see your thoughts on paper, but you don't have to do be a teacher or give a sermon. Just simply the, the practice of journaling can accomplish some of this. Right, and, and, it, and what I've found is I'll write it out, and then I'll uh, I'll think it like you say it makes perfect sense, and then I'll read it to myself, mm-hmm. 
and it's incoherent. (laughs) 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 But then there's another level where I'll say, okay, let me fix that. And I'll fix it. And I'll say, well, I'll read it to myself and it sounds coherent. And then I'll read it to a friend or to my wife. And to her, it's incoherent. So, so there's another level. Something can make perfect sense in my head, but once it comes out my mouth, it doesn't make sense to anybody else's head. So, so there's another level of that as well. Because it's amazing how your brain puts the pieces together in a way that makes sense to you. But forcing yourself to put into words what it is you believe in a evangelistic or a teaching or or just a good conversation where you're helping somebody understand the truth of the word yeah it it just is so helpful for your own growth most of us think that is just ministry sort of a one directional thing but it's actually vital for your own deepening relationship with the lord yeah and eric it might be something as simple as um, saying yes to giving a devotion at a a sunday school or Mm -hmm. Something that is maybe three to five minutes or eight minutes, and you may spend ten, five or five hours getting ready for that eight minutes. Yeah, but, and, and I think we all need to look for opportunities to to engage with people, helping them understand the truth. This is one of the areas where I think there's been an uh, an inappropriate emphasis on gifts, where people say, "Well, it's not my gift." Yeah, you know, I'm hospitality, and. You know, hospitality has not come naturally to me. But so can you imagine if somebody came to my door uh, wanting food <laughs> and somewhere to sit? And I said, you know what? I'm an evangelist. Go find somebody who's gifted in hospitality. And I slammed the door in their face. No, I need – that may be the way I need to exercise my gift most to develop in areas that don't come naturally. It doesn't mean we don't enjoy when things come naturally. But but I do – we really need to take opportunities – and grab a hold of that and not just say, well, that's just not me or my gifting or I'm not I'm not an extrovert or whatever the category we get ourselves off the hook with is. But whatever you know, and it doesn't mean you get a different personality, but within the people in your life, next door neighbor, uh, your your own family, to speak well of Jesus, to put into words your adoration for him on a regular basis and say, Hey, listen to what I learned this morning in the word. It's not complicated. Yeah, but it, but it's so helpful to our own growth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eric, I'm working on that script when people come to my door. Can you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're listening. Uh, you're listening to uh, Dr. Eric Tonis. He's our special guest today on our Sunburnt series. And Dr. Peter Kapsner and I, I look forward to this in the summer because we've been doing our Old Testament series. And now we're just a little bit of anything and everything. And today with uh, Eric, we're talking about how to grow, how we grow, and we're also talking about habits of grace. So we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue our lively discussion with Dr. Eric Tonis, who is the uh, theology dean at Biola University. And we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon 
What's for dinner? That's a serious question I have in my mind tonight. We're being joined by Dr. Eric Pizza. I mean, Dr. Eric Tonis, <laughs> <laughs> who is our guest uh, for our, our Sunbird series. We're starting today. Dr. Peter Kapscher and I are so glad to have him. I think I called you the chair of, or the dean of theology, but you're the professor and chair of theology. Is there a difference? No. Yeah. The dean's my boss. Okay. And he makes more than I do. So okay. just keep saying that. And okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, will. I will. We're talking today about how we grow and there's habits of grace. And Eric, you're doing a great job of covering some of these. We've talked about the word that we've talked about fellowship a little bit and proclamation. Uh, how about suffering? Yes. Another one that you don't see on lists of things to commit yourself to, because uh, most of us think, well, Suffering something I want to avoid at all costs, but that's just not a Christian view of things. We follow the man of sorrows, a familiar with suffering, acquainted with grief. And even though he took our sins and suffering in a very real sense upon himself in this fallen, cursed world, to be a true disciple of Jesus and to grow to be like him needs to include suffering. And there are two kinds of suffering, one that you don't choose. And then there's a kind you do. And I think we need to have categories for both kinds that we lean into instead of see as a punishment from God or, you know, just something to get around as as soon as possible. So there's plenty of suffering in this fallen world for all of us. In this world, you will have trouble of all kinds. And we recognize that. But when suffering comes our way, we have a choice. We have a choice to being un, become ungrateful or embittered or angry at God in really unhealthy ways or, or or to just do everything we can to frantically get beyond this. Instead, as C.S. Lewis said, suffering is God's megaphone. He teaches us in myriad ways, but when he really wants to get a point across, very often it's through suffering. So when suffering comes our way, we, we need to lean into it and say, Lord, what is it you have for me in this? And we might not always be sure exactly what he's up to, but humility will always be part of it. Becoming more like the man of sorrows will be part of it. Understanding the effect sin has had in this world and what Jesus took on will be part of it for sure. But then there's a second kind of suffering that Christians actually choose, like staying in hard relationships, maybe even hard marriage. That, that in many ways would be far easier for you if you bailed, but you hang in there even though it makes your life harder in some ways. Uh, we have a wonderful orphan care ministry at our church, and we're past the point of, oh, look at the cute little orphans doing a performance at your church. Aren't they adorable? To, to the point where now some of the kids who've been adopted at our church are into their adult years, and it, it's it's challenging. There's a lot of trauma that a lot of these kids, these kids work through. And But Christians are people who say, you know what, I'm going to make my life harder by inviting situations, people that I didn't even create, but I'm going to bring them into my life and bear burdens I otherwise wouldn't if I weren't a Christian. So, so both of those are vital to our growth. And the church, uh, the, the health wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel that the American church puts out all the time is counter to this, and it's profoundly unbiblical. Yeah, I, I can think of times, Eric, where I've prayed for growth or change and just assumed that the the response of heaven would be, oh, great, we'll just change it tomorrow, and I'm so glad that you've asked. Uh, and how often it has been instead, some unforeseen suffering begins to come along, and uh, and I think, well, why is this happening exactly? But it's the opposite of what you said, and 
Uh, why is it that suffering is such a powerful tool for our growth and our transformation? What happens in that process to us? Well, I think I think Romans 8 gives us as good a perspective on suffering as we're ever going to find. It, it says that that God has subjected the world to futility in the hope that it'll lead to the liberation of the children of God, that the freedom of the children of God, that that this curse in response to human sin and rebellion against God, there's actually grace woven into it. It's a punishment, but it's a punishment that points us beyond this world to the redemption to come and so that we live for what lasts forever and in the world to come rather than just living for now, living in Ecclesiastes life, which ends up being empty. And so the groaning of this present age, which Paul says isn't worth comparing to the glory to be revealed, is part of the transformative process. It doesn't mean we're masochists who will enjoy suffering. God hates the suffering that sin has brought into this world, and he's got a solution for it in the final restoration of all things. But until that day, Suffering is part of this cursed world that we recognize as part of the wise plan of God, and he's working out a beautiful plan. So the Bible says that suffering ends up producing a kind of character and perseverance that we otherwise wouldn't have. Eric, what is something that God taught you personally through suffering? Obviously, we've all gone through suffering. I don't know what suffering you've had. I'm not asking you to tell tell me what it is, but maybe just what God taught you in that, or what, what did you walk away with? Well, the first word that comes to mind is perspective. Okay. It, it puts things in perspective. And so, yeah, I've, I've had some really tough things in my life, and it got actually front-loaded early in my life, even as a kid, some really tough things that early on gave me perspective. It, it it gave me a view of the world that wasn't just about being the cool kid. I didn't even have that option. It wasn't about having material wealth. We certainly didn't have that when I was growing up. Uh, social acceptance wasn't something I experienced early on. And and so, so it, it forced me to say, all right, where does my value really come from? Does it come from being popular or cool or having things of this world? And I'm thankful because I knew Jesus from an early age that he became everything to me. He, he was the only thing in this world I realized that was permanent, that wasn't going to change, that wasn't fickle and, and temporary. And so, so God and my relationship with him became everything. And I don't know if, if I got to be the cool kid or got to have a lot of stuff and, and enjoy the pleasures of this life like other kids would. And, you know, I want want that for my kid. But again, getting back to the the depression generation, I mean, look at the character those hard times produced in them. And, I, you know, the, there's a kind of well-known expression that hard time produces uh, depth of character. Depth of character produces easy times and easy times produces shallow character. And now now we got to start over again. And, and we see that generationally. You know, these people who had to work so hard for what they got and had a struggle they appreciate it more. Every time I see a, a kid at Biola working in the cafeteria or picking up trash in the dorms, I say, you know what? I bet you're getting a better education than somebody who's not paying a dime for it out of his own pocket because because you're working for this. You see it in a perspective that's really helpful. Eric, do you think it's fair to say that when you've experienced some measure of brokenness or suffering that it can enable you to be a minister to others that find themselves in similar situations? 
Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're commanded to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn, as well as rejoice with those who rejoice, which is really interesting. So their joy, their, their victories need to be seen by me as, as mine. That's why there's not going to be competition in heaven when you guys get way more jewels in your crown than I do. <laughs> what about this? Thank you for stating the obvious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be whining about it because we're all on the same team and we're about the same thing. And so, so there won't be a competitiveness in this. So I rejoice in, in the good of others as if it were my own because we're about the same things. And the same is true of suffering. I, I want to view you guys as brothers in Christ, and so your suffering is my suffering. And, I, and that's what it means to bear one another's burdens, not just sort of from a distance theoretically, but where you feel the weight of it. You, you literally weep with those who weep, not because it's your individual burden, but because it's theirs that becomes yours through fellowship in the, in the church. So, so, yeah, and having gone through those things gives you the ability to enter into them far more meaningfully. You, you don't have to think, man, I wonder what that's like to really struggle. You, you, you can remember it. You can feel it. You can, you can uh, step back just a little ways and, and know the pain of, of life in a fallen world. Eric, my grandmother had 53 grandkids, and I am certainly one of her uh, top Whoa. favorite 50. I'm in the top. <laughs> um, but I, I've thought to myself many times, I've always wanted the character she had, but I just didn't want to go through the suffering she went through to get it. Mm. Yeah. You know, I taught a course when I was at Wheaton on spiritual disciplines, and the first thing I had everybody do was take, this will date me, take a transparency for an overhead projector. And, <laughs> and then I gave them markers, and I asked them to graph their spiritual growth throughout their lives. You know, if the top of the graph was just like Jesus, and the bottom of the graph was a, graph was a starting point, sort of on a, on a continuum, what has your spiritual growth looked like? And the first thing we learned was, wow, God grows people in really different ways. Some people, it's just a gradual increase throughout their lives. Some, for some people, it was, you know, up and then uh, a down part and then up. And for some people, it's like an EKG bag all over the place. But there was a married couple in the class, and theirs was gradual growth, and they both had a spike in their graph at the same time. And we all said, whoa, what happened there? I want some of that. <laughs> and they said, they said, well, that's when our 11-year-old daughter died of leukemia. Mm. And we all said, oh, maybe I don't want some of that. Do I? So this intense suffering was the source of the greatest spike in growth they both experienced together. But we all, it was very sobering for all of us because we were like, wow, you know, I want to buy some of that. And then it was like, oh, I'm not so sure anymore. You know, what's amazing is Job, the, the sufferer in all of literature, he starts off the most godly man anywhere. But even though he was amazingly godly and righteous, by the time we get to the end of the book in chapter 42, he says, my knowledge of God was just like only hearing, but now I see. He went to a new level of his understanding of God through suffering, and then the revelation God provides after that. Eric, what do you hang on to when you're in the midst of suffering like that? I think about the promise that even if our tears aren't going to be wiped away in this life, they will one day be wiped away. Is that maybe one perspective that allows you to be sustained in the suffering? Absolutely. Uh, one of my, my first and probably most influential theology professor, Tim Phillips, who died the week of his 50th birthday. I'm actually teaching today because of Tim. He used to say, I think I took him for four classes, and I think in every class session, 
he said something like, if not verbatim, the job of the church is to reveal eschatological realities now, which basically <laughs> means we're, our job as the church is to give the world a trailer of coming attractions when Jesus comes back mm. and his kingdom comes once and for all. We're, we're the ones who are starting that ahead of time. And that includes a view of, of suffering in this life, a view of this life that's grounded in hope, grounded even in the midst of the struggle. So, so to, yeah, say, all right, he's going to make all things right. He's going to make all things right. He's going to wipe away every, every tear. That's why reading Revelation 20 over and over again and every day is so important because that day is coming. And that promise is what we base it on. But we also recognize what he's done in the past and what he's doing on a daily basis. So we trust him for all of it. And we know he's got a solution to it. And it's not some masochistic plan he's got that just enjoys suffering at all. He hates it and he's got a solution to it. And so that future hope is vital for us. Mm. Dr. Eric Tonis is our guest as we continue our Sunburnt series. Uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are so happy to have Eric as our guest. We're talking about how we grow in the habits of grace. We'll take a break and we'll be right back with Eric. It is time for uh, our first episode of Sunburnt Series 2022. Uh, what level of sunblock do you wear, Peter? I wear I wear SPF two million. Yeah, it's, it's right around there. It just yeah, straight. I just paint my head sometimes. Just straight paint usually blocks it off. Yeah, yeah. No, my dermatologist told me just to spend the rest of my life indoors. <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Dr. Eric Tonis is our guest now. Eric, I, I would love to go back to how we grow, but I also am fascinated by your week of teaching. Are you at a youth camp or an adult camp, or where are you this week? I'm at Force Home Christian Camp, which is a place that God has used incredibly. A woman named Henrietta Mears, she uh, got she had this huge youth uh, children's ministry, and she said, we need somewhere to go. She was at Hollywood Prez, and uh, she led the way in even purchasing this property, and God's used it amazingly. And not only in the lives of kids, but Bill Bright had a massive experience here that led to his ministry. Billy Graham devoted himself to preach the Word of God here wow. after having a short shake in faith. God's really used this place. So I do a family camp, and then I head to Hume Lake next week to preach to adults, and then a week of high school kids, and then Mount Hermon. It's just really wonderful nice. to be able to preach this summer. Now, are you in front of kids this week? No, it's families. families. So it's okay. a family camp, so the kids go to their deals, and I, I teach the adults. Okay. Uh, just because I am fascinated with summer camps, because Peter and I were just saying, wouldn't it be amazing to be a high school kid going to summer camp and the teacher for the week is Eric Thomas? Oh, man. That would be just amazing. Yeah. Um, so we're just curious, <laughs> if if we don't get too far off track, as to what is your message tonight? Oh, tonight is, I, I'm actually preaching through the Habits of Grace. Oh, sweet, that, sweet. Oh, so we, can, we can get back to the topic. <laughs> yeah, no, imagine that. This is message number three tonight, so I'm doing the second half of the nine tonight. Oh, awesome, awesome. So as I'm looking at the Habits of Grace, there's nine of them. There, there's Word, Prayer, Worship, Fellowship, Service, Giving, Proclamation, Suffering, and Missions. 
And I uh, would love maybe if if you would be willing to talk about um, uh, giving. Yeah, so again, people tend to think of giving as something sanctified people do, and it is. But it's also something sanctified people do to grow in their sanctification. And, and again, this is one of those things that people tend not to think as what I do for my growth, but it is so vital that we are prying our fingers uh, off of our wallets and and slaying the idol of money. I mean, Jesus said you can't serve God and money as if that's insulting, right? I'm going to serve money. I'm going to worship money. What are you talking about? Well, yeah, in all sorts of ways. I, we, we tend to devote ourselves in sinful ways to the influence, the security, the, the prestige wealth can give us. And so when we devote our resources, primarily financially is what I'm thinking of, to, to kingdom work and give it away, gives a, a, a sense of that security away to, uh, to, to the work of the kingdom. That's not only something that helps the work of the kingdom, it's something that helps the kingdom take root in our hearts more deeply. And, and so it, it's, it's a way of slaying the idol of materialism and, and growing, giving as a vital spiritual discipline for our own growth. I can think, Eric, that I've never walked away from giving by saying, gosh, I really regretted giving to somebody in need. But, boy, I can sure fill in that blank with a lot of other things that I've regretted spending money on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, as much as we are sad about financial crises, that it seems we're we're heading toward one, if not in one right now. But, you know, you we all remember there was there was one in the mid-'80s where people lost everything. Some people did. There was one in the mid-2000s that – was devastating for people financially. And I must tell you, I was very sad for people who prayed for them, lost their jobs, and their 401ks evaporated. But I must tell you, as a pastor, deep down, there's also this sense of, okay, good. Now we're going to find out where our security really lies. Is it in that 401k? Is it in uh, having our retirement settled at a certain age or, or, or whatever it is. Where is our security really? And those sorts of times test that faith and where it really is. So I would love to um, fo- uh, follow up, Eric, with service as a, a one of our habits of grace. Right. So these all these habits, I encourage people to have both an, a formal component to them so whether it's prayer in a set-aside time where you sit there and you focus on prayer, but also there should be an informal prayerfulness. I think we should have set times of corporate worship and even private individual worship. I try to do that regularly in my life. But I also want to be worshipful throughout my life. And service is the same thing. I, I think Everybody should have something they do in a way where people count on them, where you're dependable, that uh, if you don't show up, something's not going to get done. Mm. And, and that, that it's not just sort of, well, I just serve on the fly. I, you know, I'm, I'm a servant at large. Right? <laughs> 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 
I remember we, we started at the church when we were in grad school in our 20s, and actually it was Elizabeth, uh, and, uh, Jim Elliott's sister, who became a friend of ours. She comes up to us in our church one day. She's incredible, Jane Hawthorne. She came up and we, she said, so I've seen you here the last three weeks. Is this your church? And we said, yeah, we're, we're going to settle here. This is in Wheaton. And she said to us, oh, that's wonderful. So what will you be doing by way of service. (laughs) And she said, because everyone should do at least one thing, don't you think? I love it. Who talks that way anymore, right? Uh, And so we should have formal ways we serve, but there should also be a a regular servant-heartedness throughout our lives. And, And that may mean picking up a scrap of trash uh, as you walk by it, like like I do, I did, I think, half a dozen times today walking around Forest Home, you know, with all these kids running around. And I just I just pick up some trash. I have some ownership of this thing. And and but but just serving people, you know, I actually I'm, one of the things I'm bummed about because of cell phones is I used to get opportunities to help people change their tires. You know, when their cars got broken down, I could pick them up. It, but now, you know, they just sit there, culture blending, and they come. So I, I've lost that ministry opportunity. But, but to look for ways to serve throughout your day that you didn't even know was coming, but you're just a servant-hearted person helping somebody in a grocery store or, or wherever you come across them. So being servant-hearted, again, is being like Jesus. It's practicing the servant of all's attitude, having the mind of Christ that doesn't look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Eric, you have nine things listed here, just to maybe make it more accessible in some ways. Do you recommend people try to bite off and chew on all nine at once? Maybe just pick one or two, pray about where, where maybe God is leading you to some things. How, how would you recommend getting started in this? Yeah, I, I think we should have tons of grace and appreciate that God knows we're but dust and he's not surprised by our frailty. And I think it's good to say, you know what? I really need to shore up being a man of the word. I really need to get my prayer life in a better place, or I really need to be more devoted to fellowship or those sorts of things. But there's another component of this. These are all interdependently functioning. So when I, when I pray, I want to do it the way the Bible would teach me to pray. When I go to the word, I want to do it prayerfully. Right when when I go to the Word, I want to do it worshipfully. I want to worship according to the Scriptures. So all of these work interdependently. So although I think it's great to bear down on one or two or three, I think it's also important to realize, yeah, you can't really isolate any of these either, and they all need to be informing the other ones. So, so if you're getting the Bible right, the last one, you're going to be missions minded. You're going to care about the nations. If you're praying rightly, you're going to be serving because people are going to put people on your God's going to put people on your heart to pray for, and then you're invariably going to be serving them in some way. So, so they all work together in a really vital way in the midst of saying, "Yeah, I need to bear down on this one." Hmm. So good, Eric. Uh, we love having you on the show. And as I look on these nine habits of grace, word. Prayer, worship, fellowship, service, giving, proclamation, suffering, and missions. When you look at those nine, do you see one that uh, has the the hardest time gaining traction in someone's life? Well, I can, I can just speak for myself. Prayer has always been, I think, the biggest challenge for me. Okay. Uh, some of it is just kind of how I'm wired. I'm really, I'm, a, I'm, I'm probably my greatest sin I battle is impatience. I'm just not a patient person. Now, there's some good flip sides to that I could talk about for a while. Like, I'm not 
I'm not satisfied with shallowness, for instance. So God can use our sin even. There's a positive side to these things. But so patience is hard for me. And prayer requires patience. And it requires faith. You look at the things we do as Christians. A lot of them have residual benefits, even if there is no God. But prayer, I mean, in your room, on your knees, by yourself, talking to the ceiling, if there's no God, is really stupid. Mm-hmm. And so... So it really tests my faith. It really makes me say, you know, is all this adding up to anything? Am I just wasting time? I want to go get some stuff done. And prayer never feels practically urgent. It's the core of everything we do. A mm-hmm. prayerful mess, but also set, a time, set aside times of prayer. Well, Eric, I just want you to know Peter and I are not shallow, and we didn't play rock, paper, scissors the whole hour. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just want you to know that. <laughs> Yeah, you probably played tiddlywinks. <laughs> Thank you for being with us. You know, we love you, That's and we so just great, love Eric. spending time with so you. Great. So have well, a great week. I love week. you guys. This Thank is you. really great. Thanks. Thank you. Have a great bye. night. God bless. All right, bye. Dr. Eric Tonis has been our guest, professor and chair of theology at Biola University. Always fun to have T-Dog on. Yeah, again, I, I say it at the risk of, of repeating myself, that he just makes it so... Oh. You can chew on what he's saying, and, and anybody can follow in the ways yeah. that he talks about. Yeah, I love fantastic. It. Yeah. That's our show. Thank you for being with me. I can't wait for tomorrow. Look forward to spending it with you. If you missed any of it, do check out the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.